Hello, this is Elizabeth. And Lee. And uh, we are here with our guest, George Patton, today. Thanks, George. George, where are you, by the way? So I'm in Gulf Shores, Alabama right now. Nice. We're kind of, we're semi, we're kind of on vacation with every one of our children and the grandchildren. Uh, and then May and I will head from here up to Waynesville, North Carolina, which is our favorite spot. Nice. nice. And you look like you're sitting in a comfy Adirondack chair. Look, I am. That's the best place I could get with oh. my with my four Bob Dylan shirt on. So <laughs> Good. Our, I our thought that was pretty, patron yeah. saint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I met George in Jackson, Mississippi, where I grew up at a bunch of Suzanne's conferences. And so that's how I knew you were four. And then we've been kind of talking and connecting over the years and you, uh, and then I wanted to do this podcast with you because, um, I feel that I probably teach for, from a, like from a sexual four point of view. Mm-hmm. And then my son, Henry is a self-press four and he, he doesn't like his, he has like almost this pride in that he keeps things under wraps and so i just um i just want to understand all that more so i'm really happy to meet with us so elizabeth i think strangely enough i think i may have been a social four when i was a young child Mm -hmm. you know and everything was about kind of the sad side and why is everything my fault and you know, blaming others if things would go wrong. But somewhere, it, you know, the uh, the uh, unconscious childhood message for the four, and you help me out here, is it's not okay to be too happy. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, somehow I got the message as a child that it was not okay to be too sad because if you act sad all the time, nobody will like you. Yeah. And so if I was going to have this envy of other people and the things they had, I surely couldn't be driving all of them off. Mm-hmm. So I early on probably became a self-prez for, uh, and everything was good. Everything was on the upside. Uh, I never wanted to do anything to depress people. I didn't want to do anything to drive people away. But interestingly, at that time, I obviously had a very strong sexual or one-to-one secondary subtype because mm-hmm. I was extremely, extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't feel like that I could be successful and win at whatever I was going to do, then I just didn't do it. And if I entered into something that was competitive and couldn't win, I just quit it. Actually, yeah, uh, I relate to that. <laughs> yeah. So I, to that. I used to run track and in high school and like mm-hmm. I always I ran the eight hundred and I always won. Like I got first place every time. And then the one time where I, I realized I wasn't gonna win, I faked an accident. I fell. <laughs> God. And oh like God. I, I'm sure it was obvious i'm sure my coach mr higgins i'm sure it was really obvious but like i have shame about that but like i was gonna win or not or nothing now i will say to y'all that the the one-to-one subtype came in real handy in the things that i most enjoyed doing so the things i most enjoyed that will seem somewhat strange from a four standpoint were acting on the stage Mm-hmm. singing on the stage in public and public speaking. Mm-hmm. They were also the three things that I most feared mm-hmm. and got the most anxiety from. But once I got into it, uh, I was very good at it and very successful and it became okay. I also knew that in that time period, junior high and high school, I was the best at it and I didn't have to worry about <laughs> somebody else being better. And uh-huh. so, it was all good. Yeah. Well, um, so when you decided to, uh, like, you, you, you could feel your envy, but you didn't want to drive people away, where where did those, 
feelings go. Like you have the feelings of envy and all this other stuff, but you're trying to be, how, how did, like, are you, are you aware of controlling that or like putting it somewhere or stuffing it? So I can tell you exactly how I dealt with it. So there's no doubt. Well, first, I want to say a little bit. It took me five years to finally decide that I was pouring the Enneagram because I was afraid I was picking the four because people kept saying that they are unique. And, you know, if you as a four... You know, if you want that, and, and, and we can get into the thing that I'm not, I don't really go with the unique and individualist part of it. We can talk about that later if you want to. But yeah. I didn't want to pick something because I thought it was the coolest thing to be. So this is the way I took care of Envy. So I grew up in a lower middle class family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my parents, they were very, they, they were very kind about letting me have the things that they knew uh, were important to me enjoying life as I grew up. We couldn't have country club, um, you know, all of the, the the best bicycle. We had a one-story house that had one bathroom. We had one car, you know, all of this stuff to those. So the way I solved that problem is I spent most of my time away from home at my friend's house, going to their country club, spending the night in their two-story house, mm-hmm. riding in one of their three cars, because if I was there, it was almost in effect, I was part of that family. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, you know, so the basically the envy was gone because I maybe that's the sexual subtype part that I just went out and got what I wanted. And how, like, if you were, if you were a three and listening to this, like, how do you think we could parse the difference in a three doing that because they want to look a certain way or or seem successful from a four doing it because they want that. They, I don't know what the difference is. They want that life for themselves or what? I mean, what's the difference? So my first question would be, Elizabeth, if you've been spying on me because you're asking, it's like you've got every question you're asking of the things that seem to most intrigue me about the Enneagram. So here's, Here's how that was dealt with. When I was young, I had an extremely, extremely strong three wing. I'm to the effect that Elizabeth and Lee, most of my friends uh, who knew me, but not like deep friends, would say that you're extreme extrovert and you were three on the Enneagram. It was that strong of a wing and so that I was uh, the chairman of the board at the church I was the head of the soccer organization I was head of the baseball I was chairman of the board at prep I was Mm -hmm. all this stuff about accomplishments Mm -hmm. but uh, so I had such a strong three wing that I could for all intents and purposes behave and succeed as a three and George were you was that all in Jackson Mississippi too Yes. So Lee, every, so I've never really lived more than three miles from the house I grew up in. And the only time I was ever away were four years at Ole Miss. The rest of my time, school, med school now were within, uh, within three miles of my home. Well, that's very interesting to me that both of you, you've, I don't know if you've talked about that on our podcast, Elizabeth, but you also feel like you really functioned as a three for a lot of your growing up years, right? Yeah, I think it, I think just having kind of uh, control over my, my feelings or trying to have control over my feelings. And also like what you said about the sadness, I really relate to because um, it, like my, the message I got from my mom and she, she won't mind me saying this, but is that like she really valued my sensitivity. Like it, she mm-hmm. thought it was sweet. You know, she thought she, as she used to call me tender hearted. And so she wanted me to be tender hearted because she didn't want me to be cocky. Right. She mm-hmm. didn't want me to be an asshole. But mm-hmm. if I, if I got too quote too tender hearted, if I got too sensitive or if it got a little weird or if it got a little dark, 
or if it went on too long, or if it was about a subject that made her uncomfortable, then no, then, then that's, that's not acceptable. And it's not just about my mother. I think it's just not acceptable to anybody. Mm -hmm. Like it's just not accepted culturally, like you're saying. And so, uh, it did feel like a strange dance um, of being like o- aware of all my feelings all the time and being kind of overwhelmed by them and consumed by them, but then having to manage what I could put out there and what I couldn't put out there. So your mom is a seven on Enneagram and yeah. uh, who is and your mom and dad, I want to tell you, I love. <laughs> love love and some because you know your dad and i worked together for years and years but so do you think elizabeth the the thing about the fours and sevens being virtually identical as children did you what did you experience that at all Mm, um not really because um i i i was so clued into her uh the big difference for the thing that I kept noticing was like, we would be have, we would be having an, like an emotional moment in the house and mm. she would pick up the phone and go, hello, you know, Dr. Smith's <laughs> residence or whatever she would say. And mm. that, that's not available to me. Like maybe it is like, obviously technically that's available to me, but it doesn't feel available to me. I don't feel like if I'm having an emotional breakdown with someone in the house and someone calls, first of all, I probably wouldn't pick up the phone. But if I mm. had to pick up the phone, I would be like, I'm having a hard time right now. Can I call you back or something like that? Um, that's just a dumb example. But I could, her fast pacedness, her reframing of thing, how things happened or her wanting me to move through my feelings quickly. Mm. All of that was real different from how I was as a child. So um, I never put that together until Suzanne said that to me. Um, Anyway, but we kind of just like dove in without our script. Do you want to do what do you want to jump in and? Say anything, or do you want to? We're very scripted, George. We're not scripted. No, look, I mean, so I just, Lee, Lee, go for it. I mean, go, go no, for no. it. No, no. Well, one of the questions I just had, I always think it's um, good to know, like, how you learned about the Enneagram, and you did say it was really hard to type yourself, and if you're a self-preservation four, that is kind of the counter type, and the counter types, people generally have the hardest time. Mm-hmm seeing themselves and in the basically caricatures and what we can put out there for introductory work. And so I'm curious just about your journey to actually um, accepting or putting on your time for realizing that. So actually I'm getting chills right now because this story (laughs) is a story I love to tell. Okay. Um, that, you know, uh, of course, at Beatrice Chestnut, I'm sure y'all aware, it said, you know, till self-preserving force were uh, characterized, self-preserving force could never find a place on the Enneagram. And so they were forever confused about their number. I do believe that, but I won't get into all that part of it. So, Lee, to answer your question. So I finished choir one Sunday morning and uh, one of my best friends, who's a three on the Enneagram, uh, Sally Birdsall, uh, was Standing down the hallway, I was going out the side door and she was, I saw her way down the hallway. And as I walked by, she stopped me and she said, uh, you have got to do this. She said, this is so you. And so I, I said, well, what is this Enneagram? I said, well, I don't know anything about it. She said, well, Corinne Sampson and I and uh, several, a bunch of people from Galloway Methodist Church, we're going to do this at St. Andrews. You need to do it. And i put enough faith in the things she says about me that I was going to do it. So I did. So we all go to St. Andrews and we're going through know your number. I'm sitting by Corinne Sampson and uh, nine, eight, one. I'm thinking, you know, yeah, I kind of got some of that stuff, but doesn't really sound like me. And she started, and look, I'm getting chills again. She started reading about the four, uh, describing the fours. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I got chills. Mm-hmm. And I felt like suddenly this huge weight was suddenly lifted off my shoulders that had been there of of somebody 
who tried trying to prove themselves all their life. And I just all of a sudden I said, Oh my God, this I said, this is it. And Corinne Sampson turned to me and said, That is so not you. And I said, <laughs> huh. you know, Corinne, you don't have to live with me. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, Lee, my wife is a nine. And I, I tell you, you know, thank the thank God for nines. <laughs> thank God for nines. Amen. Mm. So do you mm. like hearing you say that two things came to mind. I mean, obviously what y'all already talked about with being in a, in Jackson, Mississippi and all that comes with that. Mm-hmm. But how, what do you think being a, a man and a four and especially in the time of your kind of coming of age and growing up and the profession that you're in and what we do with feelings um, in that space. I just, when you said a weight was lifted off of you or someone, I, I would guess that would be hard to, that would be a hard. Okay, so Lee, uh, being a full in the Enneagram is extremely beneficial in the work I do. I do general and internal medicine, which is just the day-to-day, you know, all diabetes, high blood pressure, that kind of thing. And Suzanne, when, when I did my cohort with her, the first thing she had us do was introduce ourselves and say, what is the best part of you and what is the worst part of you? And I said, you know, the best part of me is that I'm empathic. Yeah. And the worst part of me is that I'm empathic. <laughs> because in my practice, hmm. uh, I can literally be in the chair with the patient and yeah. in their misery and in the in the death and in the whatever goes on. The problem is I can never let it go. You know, if there's so, if I feel like I did not do something right or they're suffering, it's just I mean, literally, it can be weeks. And if I make a mistake, I mean, there's still mistakes. You can't do medicine for 41 years and not make a mistake. And there's still mistakes that will keep me awake at night that probably happened 35 years ago. Oh, dear one. Uh And so, like, you just, as a, you're just carrying that with you. You're not, because like me as a sexual four, I'm expressing that all the time. And I'm talking to whoever will listen about it and making everyone nuts. So do you, you just carry it with you? You don't have to, can you talk to me about that? You're just walking around holding that. Yeah. But Elizabeth, it's not a bad thing. It's kind of that thing of how, you know, they can actually some, some of that stuff is the greatest stuff that's ever happened to me in life. It made me a much better person. Um, some of that has to do with being a self-preserving and significantly introverted person mm-hmm. is you just, there's nobody, Elizabeth, there's nobody to tell it to. <laughs> so that's you know? just like, I mean, that's just like a discipline you think that's built into self-pres that sexual doesn't have, or do you think that's my addict? Okay. Problem? So, uh, I, so you tell me, I'm a, this way. So I got interviewed one of those days, you know, Suzanne would make you come up to the front nine different things. She would ask a question. Yeah. And asked me, said, what do you most wish people knew about you? Yeah. Yeah. Or what could they do to best be with you? And I said, well, you know, the thing I wish that all my life I spent asking other people about them and listening to them and enjoying their story. And nobody will ever ask me about me and sit there and listen to them. And really like, and then I said, but the problem is that then if they ask me and want to do that, I'll say, you know, there's really not much interesting about me. Tell me about you. Mm -hmm. Huh? I wonder if that's a big self-preserving. I think it must be a self. That's it. Cause I, I would tell you all about me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would tell you all about me and all the which and ways and all the whys and hows of me. Um, I mean, if you asked and I could tell that you wanted to know, I tell you all about it. So um, again, my son's self-pressed for. I just, I just think it's so interesting that y'all have this. Um, it's it feels like discipline to me, or it feels like containment, or mm-hmm. just realizing the boundary there that if you splooge over into that, people are going to go away. Like you're just almost like you're you're equipped. You're equipped for that. Mm-hmm. In a way that I feel as a sexual four, I'm not equipped for that. Okay, so I think 
is this quest for somebody that will really listen to me and experience what I'm feeling Mm -hmm. and the fear that if I express it, uh, they may turn around and abandon me or not think it's really their thing and they will go off and leave me and I'll never, I'll lose that connection. I just didn't for it. You just can't lose connection. And recently I had an experience where, um, an, an eight friend of mine uh, from the cohort had asked me to tell a group of us that were eating together how I wound up going into internal medicine, which is a weird, uh, just med- medicine, a yeah. weird, long, fascinating story. But anyway, <laughs> so she had me, I told the story and then she elaborated on what it meant to her and what she heard from all this and how she learned about the poor. And I thought, all of a sudden, I said, oh, my God, somebody finally heard. It was just like, yeah. Yeah. Feels like water in the desert. Yeah. 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 But do you think that's um, a human thing? Like, don't you think it's just kind of rare in general, no matter what number we are, to have someone really listen to who we are and really want to know? Yeah. Um, I think You so. know, it's it's like uh, wedding parties. Mm-hmm. And you put me and I will take two cars too sometimes now because my <laughs> strong five wing will kick in and all of a sudden you I'm out go. of here. Yeah. So that you walk in and somebody comes up to you and says, George, how's everything going? Tell me about things. They don't, they could care less. Right, what they right. want for me to do is ask them so they can tell me about how successful their children are and how successful they are. Uh, so I, I, Elizabeth, I don't know if that answers yeah. your question. I yeah, hope, no, no. I, hope I, what I just. Said I mean, I have to say, like me. you know, and maybe some of it is part, like part of the addiction piece for mm-hmm. me. I, I'm mm-hmm. wondering, and because also since I have been sober, which is the last 11 years, I have I admit that I kind of play this game that you're talking about, and. I mean, I don't know if we have to call it a game, but I definitely go places and do exactly what you just said. I like turn it around. I know that I'm turning it around. And sometimes I do it so much that like, because maybe it is a way of protecting myself. It's just like, I'm just going to pull your whole story out and I'm going to spend all night pulling your whole story out. I mean, usually I have to say, depends on the person, but if it's somebody with a great story, it usually ends up being like super fun and I'm sincere about it and I'm excited to hear all about it, you know? And also I'm getting the juice from them being so excited about being asked in depth about something. Um, the more I do that, the more I realize people don't do that. And so it's kind of just fun to do. But um, uh, sure. so I wondered, I, I think it would be interesting for the both of you to talk about your how you would describe the, the push-pull um, space of the four. You know, I want you, I don't want you, I want you, I don't or want whatever you. That or whatever that is whatever it is. Yeah. Four. Yeah, like what that looks like in each of you as a... So, Elizabeth, you want to go first? You want me to go? You tell me. You, you go. You go. Okay. So, is so. let me look. Oh, nice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be interviewing <laughs> Suzanne uh, on November 9th on a FaceTime for Lemuria Bookstore. But anyway, oh, good. the reason I held that up is because um, I just this morning uh, fin- went through a part of stances and the fours in this book. Mm-hmm. And of course, as always, the push pull is always part of it. Okay. Yeah. So I personally believe it's more, I refer to it as a pull push, not a push pull. Okay. Because I think for me, my quest is a four because of uh, valuing relationships and intimate connections with people. Always the pull is first. The pull, I'm constantly wanting to pull others toward me. And in some ways, see, that's even about my medical practice, right? I've got to be able to pull people to me. Right. So, but then after the pull, I will quickly, oh my gosh, get the feeling of too much. And that's when I begin to push away. Too much of yourself or too much? Yeah, that I'm just too overwhelming for people. You said too much. You overdid it. Yeah. 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 Um. 
I, I totally relate to that. I, th I think I'm going to agree with you and say that it feels the same. I, I wrote down this Elizabeth Gilbert quote. She says, you want to smoke people like a crack pipe and get mad when the crack is gone. And um, <laughs> I think that's a good definition of like of maybe sexual numbers in general. But for me, for sure, as a sexual four, I want to smoke people like a crack, like a crack pipe. And I want like everything from them. And so like I sort of step into that and then I realize how it's almost like this endless um, thing. I remember somebody at Suzanne said one time, it's like a, a va just a vacuum cleaner. You're just sucking everything up. And um, mm -hmm. so I start down there and then I make a mistake, like you're saying, or I go too far or I, something happens that triggers the shame, probably. Mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. and then, I, uh, the, the, pu the pulling away or pushing away can either be physical, but a lot of times it's me just doing something prickly or unacceptable or saying something not kind, you know, as a way of just like making sure I push them away, you know? You take care of it. So that brings, up an, interesting, it. <laughs> that brings up an interesting sexual four point because really I would say that my self-preserving and sexual stacking or whatever you want to call it, Lee, is probably about equal. And if we accept the fact that sexual fours may be the angriest number on the Enneagram, uh, Elizabeth, say I say. So, because here, here's the deal for me. There, to me, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. Yeah. And for me, it's very subtle anger. Yeah. Not like something where I'm going to be in a fight or I'm going to be mm. yelling at somebody. It's mm. this very subtle anger to make the other person squirm. Yeah. And to, feel, to make them feel ashamed. Well... I think um, to me, it's, I think it's connected to the idealism piece, like the one, four, seven idealism that I'm mm -hmm. always imagining how I want the world to be. And when things are not happening, how I want them to be, uh, I, it's pretty obvious pretty quickly that the person, there's nothing I can do about it. The person's not mm -hmm. going to go there. Or the situation's not going to work out. And so, um, I can get angry about that. Um, I think it, I think for a long time I validated my anger because I, it was all mixed up with my passion. And I think I felt like because I wanted things to be authentic quote, mm -hmm. uh, and real, I didn't have any mm -hmm. control around what was appropriate. I mean, in that sense, I'm the opposite of a three. You know, so it's weird because I have this very strong three wing, but mm -hmm. in, but as my daughter is quick to tell me, I do not have that space mm -hmm. that, you know, like I like to say threes use feelings to, to fluidly and sex successfully move through the world. Mm -hmm. I use feelings to be, to have texture, to be special, to be authentic, to be whatever. And mm -hmm. And that usually is not fluid and it's usually not successful, you know? And so that I have anger, I have anger around that and, and it pops up really fast. It's kind of extreme. Like I'm, I can just be doing, going along and it can, it can come out almost like, like really fast and hard. And then I kind of, I do move through it quickly, but it's intense, mm -hmm. very intense. Yeah. So, Lee, I feel yeah. like you're being left out of this conversation. No, no, I'm getting I'm getting nervous now. So, <laughs> look, look the nine the I... nine should always be sitting in front. No, so, no, no. Uh, I told her she's the objective voice of this yeah, podcast. I love hearing this. Well, you know, the thing I was thinking as Elizabeth was saying and describing that intensity, one mm -hmm. of the conversations the two of us have had for a long time. When I say, well, there are introverted fours. There are fours who look different. She's like, well, where are they? What yeah. are they? You know, that's that, why we're doing this. And yeah, and yeah. listen to that kind of um, the expression of your passion, the ex and w combined with your sexual energy, which is your subtype. How differently that 
is from a self-pres. Yeah. And so just even your energies, right? Is, mm-hmm. um, are super different. Are super different. Super different. Which is so... Um, so interesting. Yeah. So great. Um, so, oh, I was going to just real quick would say, so in, in my cohort group, uh, David Gaffney, Gaffney, Amy Head, who you know, Elizabeth, yeah. and uh, our myself, we're all in this together. Who we're talking about? So we had a, a self-preserving, uh, uh, self-preserving four, social four, and a sexual four. Mm-hmm. And if you stood up us us up in the front of a room together, everybody would swear they said there's no way those people are the same. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That's really mm-hmm. important. Yeah. 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 Um. So um, I've been thinking a lot lately about just the heart triad as all of us having a comparing heart mm-hmm. and um, and how that gets us into kind of feelings of lack and feelings of shame and feelings of longing and our addiction to longing. And also um, I was thinking about how it takes an audience to feel special and I have a note on my wall saying, like, you do not have to, like, validate your experience with someone else. So I'm, like, wondering, does any of that resonate with you? Do you feel like, do you catch yourself saying, like, I don't have to have an audience to feel special. I don't have to compare uh, with someone else. I can just stand on my own feet and feel special all by myself. So I can tell you that happened uh right at the age of 50, and I can take you to exactly where I was standing when uh, that happened. So all of that that you just described was what I took care of with an extremely strong free will. Hmm. And one night, because of all, children were all small, homework wasn't done, you know, uh, I, it's just everything, the whole house was crying, and <laughs> May said, look, we all, let's all get together. And they said, you know, we have got we cannot do this every night. We've got to have some relief from this family. And my three wing totally disappeared that night and a five wing came in. And at that point, mm-hmm. I, I instantly, the feeling that I needed to impress other people was completely gone. Wow. That's amazing. And so, yeah. but do you still feel the drive for specialness without the drive for um, comparing? No. It is t- I'm telling you, my five wing is so strong now <laughs> uh-huh. that I know, I, I mean, so I'm about to say that I no longer care what people think about me. Uh-huh. That would that would obviously be a crazy thing to say. I mean, it, we all care what others think about us. Right, right. But, I, but you kind of get the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Is, is I have no intention of trying to impress anyone anymore. Right. And I do think, I do, I do think that fours like to say that. And I think that mm-hmm. I like to say that. And, and, and so it's great to hear you reiterate that. You don't, I mean, I, you really feel that that's deeply, deeply true. Like, I think we kind of enjoy saying we don't care what anyone thinks. My, like my son enjoys saying, I don't, I don't care what anyone thinks. Um, but then I watch him care a lot what mm-hmm. people think. I watch him care a lot what I think. Um, and he sort of has this gruffness about how he doesn't really care what I think and he's going to do, he's going to be himself and he's going to do whatever. But the minute I'm hurt, then I watch him come, come after me because mm-hmm. he wants to turn it around. So I re- that resonates with me because I remember yeah. as a child, I said to my mom and dad, I said, uh, I don't want to behave in a way that's going to make you happy, but mm-hmm. I want to, but I want you to be happy. And they were so just like, that's I, impossible. And I'm like, well, therein lies my dilemma. Like, I don't know what so to can do I with qualify, it. Mm-hmm. Can I qualify then what I just said? Yeah. Uh, I, I, what I can't take and what I will forever feel is that if I feel someone doesn't like me, that's a totally different thing. Okay. That's devastating to me. Okay. So in that part, I do care what people think of, about what I wear. Yeah, uh, sure. What, you know, sure. that kind of thing. But oh, if yeah. I feel someone does not like me, 
that's devastating. Yeah, but it's the, it's the, it's people it's connecting with people or people not liking me or people mm-hmm. being upset with me that I, I can't let go of. Yeah. But I think I'm also bad in the other way, too, in that like Instagram's out there and I'm looking at it and I'm comparing myself to other people. And, you know, that gets in the way. That's a different kind of comparing, which you're saying yeah. free of. Yeah. yeah. Um, OK, so another quote I like about fours that I heard from Jenny Savile, who's an artist that I love is she called herself a scavenger of feelings and that she's always like grabbing feelings and grabbing ideas all the time is kind of almost like this way of decorating herself or like creating texture, creating uniqueness or specialness. Does that resonate with you? It does. And I I would say that that is the classic. That's the sound of music, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, all of these things where so much of the basis of all those stories, Don Quixote, uh, Anna Karenina, it's, it's all about this search for feelings, you know, and this constant quest to find the, the best and ultimate feeling. There is. So I, so yeah, so I would, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that, so I like knowing that. So, so, so we're alike in that way, but the outward expression of it is just so very different. Yeah. You're doing it and I'm doing it, but y'all all see me doing it. And I think maybe a self-pressed four is a little more uh, quiet about it. Like, I think Henry's up in his room, like listening to music and knowing so much about music and doing all this stuff with music. And he doesn't talk to me about it, but he is brought it all on board and knows all this stuff. But he doesn't so talk Elizabeth, <laughs> I would say that when we're in a room together, um, you are much more present to others in the room than I would be. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I think that you, you have an aura of, um, uh, of being powerful that I don't have. And I don't know if that's a subtype thing. Uh, I don't know. I, Maybe I so. think the difference is I would say it differently. Okay. I would say you're probably both. I, I don't know how you can't not be um, muddled in all of your feelings and kind of feeling a lot of the feelings of others, not like a three. I think her energy looks very different than your energy, George. Um, and mm-hmm. that people notice her in a way that they probably don't notice you. I don't know that that translates to the way that you all notice others. I think there's a noticing of that kind of energy, which initially I would say Elizabeth always feels like an aggressive number to me. Like that she- Okay, well, so I guess I would say Elizabeth- to me, in the times we've been together, would be more likely to speak up in the room, yeah, and to be and to be very definitive about her comments. Mm-hmm. But in the same respect, I think she and I, from the beginning, felt a kinship yeah, totally. that we knew we had something that was, I think, this four thing which made us very comfortable with each other, like that, right. Totally. That's so good. Totally. That's very interesting. And I think it's truly like it's probably it's not about how much we're um, paying attention to others. Because I think George is really paying attention mm-hmm. to others. It's I think you're right to say it's how much attention we're calling to ourselves or is being mm-hmm. which. You yeah. Know, and not, intentionally or not, shame it's about your, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's a really good, again, a, a difference between. The sexual yeah. energy and a self-preserving energy, right? That, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Which for a long time was so obviously for to you. Yeah. And, yeah. And this is the this is the, the texture di- of the different kinds mm-hmm. of fours, yeah. right? Yeah. So, what about like fear of average? Do you have? Do you feel strongly in that way, or do you think that's subsided? So. So that goes back to the early discussion we had about if I don't feel like that I can win, 
be the best or win, then I just drop out of the event. Okay, I'm I'm good. I just drop out. So, but but I have a life now where I can feel comfortable that I'm as good an internist as anybody is, and so there's no chance of losing. Wow. What about like one? I'd say one of the darkest parts of myself is that. I give up too quickly on others that I perceive are average. So I like have a kind of a knee jerk perception that other people are average and I judge them too quickly because I don't want to get mired in it because it scares me because I'm afraid of being average. So does that resonate with you? Okay. So Elizabeth, when I do that is when I am very comfortable with myself and what I'm doing and what I know and that I've parked myself at one and take on this huge amount of, I can, I can literally almost become a one. And so it's kind of the, look, I'm doing my job. Why aren't you doing your job? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm kind of living into that space right now, but I just um, big picture, for all our people who are listening to this podcast. Um, I mean, I do think that's a big part of four, and I don't think it's necessarily a sexual four thing, do you, Lee? No, I think you all judge. <laughs> I think we judge people, yeah. and I think because I think we're afraid of average, yeah. like I say, because we're really afraid of actually being average. And yeah. it's not even just average, like it's even mundane. It's what basic. you have decided that you don't have. And I think it is a different, maybe it's a different ease or, um, I don't, I've, I've heard other fours talk about it, like in the way someone moves in the world. Well, then if they're not moving in the world the way you are, then they are gruff or they're just too much and you know, you can't catch up or you're, they're not enough. Yeah. So I think it's, I've, I feel like sometimes it's tied to, um, tied to that whatever you've decided is average, which I right. think is subjective. Right. And yours is a very particular kind of energy that you are after, right? Okay. I mean, mine's about mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. and mine's about beauty mm-hmm. and mine's about authenticity, whatever, which I also know is another subjective word. And I think it's kind of a bad word these days. But um, So this part of it becomes kind of complicated because uh, at some point in life, it occurred to me that average is okay. Right. Uh, you know, that's average is okay. So it it that quit really being I don't have a problem with average. I think I have a problem when I don't think that people are striving for above average. Okay. And that's what so if I feel that in let's mainly in business, let's say, and I, f- I feel like somebody's not pulling their load, well, they may be doing the average, but my feeling is we ought to all be trying for superior. And so I may become frustrated, may go into that kind of subtle anger mode kind of thing. But what happens to me is I suddenly flip over to two, regretting the way I'm feeling and doing and will become all smoothie and everything. And then I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. And, but then, look, whatever it was, the other person about the average, whatever it was, mm-hmm. man, when it's gone, it's gone. And I love them just as much as I ever did in the first place has no effect on the way I feel about them. That's amazing. Yeah. I think that's much more, uh, I think you're much more healthy than I am. <laughs> A few more years on him. Yeah. Well, Liz would like to say, you don't have to live with me, but I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, like one of the things I wrote down about fear of average is that I'm kind of always looking for the right thing. And like Lee said, I think what is right for a four or correct or ideal is different for every mm-hmm. four. Um, and that deciding to go with the okay thing can make it the right thing, which is something I've learned. I don't always play by that, but it sounds like you've learned that and you live into that. Yeah. And, and, and I think some of that is about, you know, stance stuff too. Cause I think deciding that the okay thing that you're going to go with it is part of that doing the next right thing that gets you into the space of doing, which gets you over the space of being mired in your feelings. So um, I think that's like super 
healthy to remember to, to like that the okay thing is maybe, it could be the ideal thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or get you, get you to the ideal thing. Yeah. Yes. It's trust the, yes, it's trust the, the work yeah. that yeah. whatever your ideal is. I mean, I think all of us, that's a game all of us are playing. You know, we talk about this in a million different ways, but we are, we think we are getting the ideal by doing what we are up to. And as a nine, I think I'm getting peace. And that's, you know, that, but when I do the next right thing, when I do my work, whatever your type is, you actually get there. <laughs> like you actually yeah. get what you're after going after yes yeah. you know? so, so lee it's kind of i would say it's the quest for the holy grail for the four. Oh god yes I, oh my you goodness. Guys, I can't imagine oh my gosh um okay i'm gonna run this by you because i came across this the other day and i like it so the the idea of resistance as a way of not being here um and like resistance to reality and fours asking existential questions like fours being mired in why are we here? Who am I? Mm-hmm. To the detriment of actually being in touch with that re- that reality of 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 hereness of selfness. It's like in the journey, in the quest, in the quest for the Holy Grail of why am I here and who am I? We lose why we're here and who we are. Does that and and I equate that to kind of resistance to reality, which I get from David White. He talks a lot about mm-hmm. that that space between you know where you are and where you 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 think you are. Um, I think that's a huge roadblock for fours. So, golly, how deep do you want to get on this? Deep, you know, go. It, so so here's where first of all i think the chapter in his book what is it consolations what's the name of the book yeah. does that sound right yeah and i think it's a chapter on ghosts yeah i want the two of y'all to go back and look i think it's one of the chapters ghosts something about that has to do with this i think but anyway um so i've always said to people that part of this feeling is the way we modify the past mm. and make it more ethereal. And we we never, it, it, kind of one of those National Enquirer kind of things, if you really look at the bottom of it, there's always truth there. So my tendency is to modify the past to make it more pleasurable and feeling and mystical and this kind of thing. But whatever I tell is always the truth, but I may modify it to make it a more beautiful truth. And then not only that, I will think of ways to, for future events to occur that in effect almost transform the future into the past before we ever get there. Yes. So that's even living more in the past. Okay. Yes. And and so in effect, we just skip the present. Which is which is but I guess I'm not so, resistance to being here. Because I catch exactly. myself doing what you're do, talking about. Either mm-hmm. that I may overly beautify the past or overly beautify the future, but I also may overly dramatize or darken the past or overly dramatize or darken the future. I'll do both. I'm never going to make, I'm probably not going to make something more mundane than it was, <laughs> you know, like I don't okay. even know what that means, but I catch myself and then I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're not here. You're not here. You don't even know what your hands are doing right now. You don't know what the person in front of your face is talking to you about. Mm -hmm. You just finished reading a Mary Oliver poem, but you can't even sit here and have a conversation with your husband and be totally present to it. Like I, I, I try, I mean, I do think I'm better at catching myself doing it more and then just stopping and going be here Elizabeth be here which is you know I mean we make fun of that Eckhart Tolle but it's helpful (laughs) so if uh, I'm sorry Lee no Lee go ahead Uh, well I was just gonna say that makes me think of the whole scavenger of feelings too that the who am I what's happening 
that's a way that you get to scavenge, right? Yeah. You kind of get to be in this mystical, I think was a um, term that you used, George, that the te- texturizing, the however you want it to, to feel or look, that you're you're going out and getting it, which is hard for force to talk about. And I think, yes. well, who am I? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. Um, feels a noble way. Yeah, like we can validate it. it. We can say, oh, but we're asking the big questions. But what we're really doing is avoiding avoiding the present. And I think in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways that kind of sounds like a seven, you know, like the way a seven is avoiding all the time. But Mm -hmm. the difference is, is that we're using feelings Mm -hmm. to avoid feelings. And sevens are not using feelings. They're just making stuff up. I mean, how would you describe it? You you could probably be more um, objective <laughs> about what a seven's doing when they're avoiding. They're not. Well, well, I mean, I I'm just trying either, to parse the difference. Yeah. I just think you're using different centers to do it. And right. Different, they're using their head. They're primarily. using their head. And you're, you're both avoiding being here. Present. Yeah. So you're, you, the fact that they can't use feelings to talk about the way they're doing it is hard for you. Too. It's real really hard. hard. For me. It's really <laughs> yeah. hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. But you're both doing the same. We're well, but we're, we're up the to the same thing. thing. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I mean, I guess that's why the Enneagram is good because if I'm really paying attention, mm-hmm. I can realize that back to the anger, mm-hmm. I can realize mm-hmm. that what I'm angry about, I'm doing it you're too. Doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so how about beauty and pain and like holding those together? Okay. Now I assume you're not, I assume you're not talking about physical pain, like me burning my hand. You're talking about, I'm talking about suffering. painful emotion. So yeah. yes. Okay. So I think I, I mentioned earlier that uh, for me, the painful things that have happened in my life, probably carry more meaning and significance than the good things that have happened in my life Mm -hmm. and have become, I would say, of equal import. Uh, And now that I am, now that it is part of the past, carries as much, I'm not sure if joy is the right word, but I don't feel pain associated with anymore. It's like it created um, I'm not. I don't know Elizabeth, what I'm trying to say here. But. It has. It ha- There's a certain. Um, there's a certain beauty to that pain. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, Elizabeth, if there wasn't the pain, my gosh, you know, the the poetry we write, the art you put on a canvas, the songs we write, the things we want to talk about, there would there wouldn't be any of that. There would be no unless it was modified. Yeah. 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 Unless it was my, yeah. Totally. So, yeah. Okay. So that's, I think, just a, a four characteristic. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as authenticity, which I think, again, is like kind of a bad word, especially these days, because I think for a four, it's an excuse to behave badly. Um, uh, I mean, like one thing I know, like, for example, um, I was, I have a friend who I know her son is really suffering um, mm-hmm. to the point of it being very dangerous and frightening. And so my friend is walking down the street and I'm just, I'm just, she doesn't even know I'm there, but I'm just standing there and she's walking down the street and a neighbor comes up and says, how's your son? And she goes on this whole song and dance about how great the son is and what classes mm-hmm. the son's taken and how wonderful all of it is and just tells this, makes up this story about how great it is. And I'm not, I'm not I'm being judgy, but what my point is, is I realize, like, I hear her do that. And I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. Like, I can't do that. I, I cannot do it. And so that's when, when I talk about authenticity, which I also know is related to, you know, this judgment piece or not boundarying my feelings and it can be problematic, but I also, it matters to me that if someone asks me about Henry and Henry's not doing well, I don't have to like go on and on about how he's not doing well, but I'm definitely not going to say he's great. 
I'm going to say mm-hmm. he, we're having a hard time with Henry right now, yeah. but things are hopefully going to turn around. And there's part of me, part of me that feels like integrity, but also part of me feels like that kind of honesty is what saves other people and helps mm-hmm. other people not be alone. Um, and it helps me not feel alone too. And mm-hmm. sometimes my, probably my anger comes when I'm trying to be that authentic person for everybody, not just for myself. And it's not accepted. You know, so how would you talk about like what authenticity is for you? Okay, so there are a couple things about first. I want to say that as a self preserving for Elizabeth, I would be much more likely to not go into specifics, but to say we're doing okay, yeah, and leave it at that without any explanation whatsoever. Okay, so about authenticity. Um, I can spot authenticity just by standing by somebody, even if I've never known them before, I I can just, I can just feel it. it. And within a couple of words that they would speak, I know, uh, I would say that it tends to push me away and I don't feel as comfortable socializing with individuals like that. I also want to say about this, that it's one of the reasons that in life I've been so drawn to apes in my life because they are so, so, I mean, it's all bad often. I mean, whatever, yeah. there it is. Yeah. Yeah. I love it too. It makes me feel so mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's another way of talking about just being honest, right? Mm-hmm. From a self-preserving nine, like yeah. what's bubbling up in me is it is, it is your way of staying close to, to, like you putting it out there and saying whatever, you know, and that being authentic, which it is, it's being true to who you are. Someone else being true to how they have to make their way through can look different. And it doesn't mean that it's inauthentic or dishonest. So I, I think it's, it's hard to put it in black or white. Yes or no. However you put it out there, that there are different ways of, kind of staying close to yourself or being true to yourself that might not look the same way of sticking it out there, right? Of, of putting it out sure, there. Sure, right? sure. And I, I know that from like my perspective mm-hmm. is that like I could splooge all over somebody about mm-hmm. what's going on in my life. Or I could just say, like you said, it's things hard. are okay or it's kind of hard right now. Mm-hmm. But I guess my point is that I would never just make up a whole story about how great things are. Mm-hmm. So, Lee, can I ask a nine question? Sure. Okay. So, if, and like I say, I'm married to a nine. (laughs) And it's so, if so often y'all are about being helpful and loving to everyone and fulfilling the needs without expecting anything in return Mm -hmm. and are so good at merging with what we other, others of us need. I mean, I'm willing to take that whole thing as authenticity for a nine, but how do we know? Yeah, I know. I know, right? That that is, uh, that sometimes that is truly, truly coming from a space of, uh, mm-hmm. of genuine, like, this is what, what, what I'm up to. And um, sometimes saying no or mm-hmm. holding the space, uh, or saying what I want or need, um, 99.9% of the time, if I'm saying what I want or need, that's coming from a genuine place <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that's the the messy part. Like when we talk about kind of authenticity and being genuine, how, how we're working that out in ourselves and just l- listening to the two of you with your different energy from sexual and self-preservation, how that can be misinterpreted, right? In totally. different ways and how, um, of course, all of life does not fit into the to the Enneagram, of course, but just, well, I think, staying close to um, observing yourself and doing your work, that that's, that's where, if we were going to define authentic- authenticity for me, that's where I want to that's where I want to hang out. And it might be that I don't know what I want and I'm going to merge with you or I'm going to come alongside you and give, you know, support you. And that's, 
that's okay. I have a gift in that way. Where it stops, starts for me being disingenuous is if I know, or if I don't take time to ask, or if I don't do my work ever, um, and that's just always my knee-jerk reaction, you know, but my moving alongside or saying yes to you or um, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm just being a nine, right? So it's a, that can also just be part of who who I am and what it means to love um, love you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So before I let you go, I think just one thing I wanted to talk about is like that noticing, like noticing lack or kind of that a little bit of a victim uh, syndrome that fours have, like uh, putting a lot more weight on the one negative comment and uh, not even noticing the six positive comments. Does that, do you do that? Does that resonate? Yeah, that's one of those things that uh, if someone makes a negative comment to me, uh, I would say, Elizabeth, it's devastating. Yeah. I would say it's devastating. It's devastating. And, and is likely to make me totally fix the problem yesterday because yeah. I, I need it fixed right now. The interesting part of that is too much. that those that are critical of me tend to be those who I'm, I will most pursue in life. Yes. Because I feel you that guys. I, yeah, I've got. What is that? that why are we I, doing that? Yeah, why are I we can doing handle that? the criticism. I can't hit, handle the abandonment. Oh. Okay, so you think that that it's related? It's about the abandonment piece. So it's almost like the more someone is mm. is. Uh, capable and showing signs that they're going to abandon us are the ones we go after the most. Yeah. That's, yeah, I that's sick. So I, I don't know. I feel so strongly about this abandonment thing. Yeah. Uh, for fours mm -hmm. that uh, almost to the extent that I'm not even sure that that's whatever word we could come up with may even be way at the root yeah. of four yeah. uh, problems. And I'll give you a, a crazy example of this. We were there were a group of us who would meet at our cohort after the meeting, you know, just to talk about things. Mm -hmm. And I would suddenly get this feeling that, you know, it's time for me to go to bed. I need to get and what it was is if I left first, then the others would not leave me. Oh, the, that's the great. other you know, would not say, well, I've had a night, I need to go to bed. And that feeling is so much worse than me just getting up leaving. It, it avoids the... I love this because I think it's a very good example of a difference between sexual and self-press. So as a self-press for you're leaving first mm -hmm. so that you're taking care of yourself and you're not being abandoned. And mm -hmm. I, as a sexual four, am going to be the very last one to go because I'm going to smoke the crack pipe with everybody until two in the morning, metaphorically. And exactly. So, Elizabeth, I'll go back to the room and smoke it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what what is that crack pipe in your room that you're smoking? Like, what is it? A book you're reading or just your feelings or what? Uh, uh, the, like, pill what for the pill for anxiety. Okay. Okay. It, it alleviates all of my anxiety. Of, you just want to go much? do that. You go do that by yourself. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's so helpful. That's so helpful. Do you have anything else you want to no, say? No, I'm just, I'm so glad we had you, George. It's so good to hear. I think anytime we can hear a different voice and a yeah. different, we all just have such different experiences and um, ways we wear where are types and i think um such such a so, conversation yeah if y'all would y'all allow me to say one more thing i think y'all have an exceptional podcast <laughs> and i love listening to you the two of you together and there was one thing i don't know elizabeth i'm almost sure of this i think i called you on the phone after one of the podcasts way back and when y'all said something about parents or it could even be friends, but I think you're talking about parents who will allow fours to mm -hmm. 
to be a four mm-hmm. without trying to change them into somebody else. And I just want to say that that touched me so because my parent, my mother was certainly a nine. Mm-hmm. My father, I, one or six, I, I'm not really sure, but for whatever reason, they understood my uh, feelings and allowed me within reason to, mm-hmm. you know, to be me. And I got that from something y'all said. I, I appreciate what y'all have done. Oh, well, thank you, George. Yes. I really yeah. appreciate it. And um, I did, I did feel connected to you the minute I met you. So I'm glad <laughs> we're. I'm glad we're continuing the conversation. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. All right. Lee, Thanks for taking I'm gonna look time forward to meeting you someday. Okay? I know. In person. I'm have to make make my way to Jackson or Gulf Shores, you know, either one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, George. Bye, George. Okay, I'll see you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye bye.